tuned in to the All My Friends podcast. Welcome if you haven't met before. I'm the host Liam Oliver and my guest today is Manchester DJ, Wax Aficionado and Piccadilly Records champion Patrick Ryder. Any Piccadilly Records regular will recognise Pat from behind the counter. Pat has also run the nights Bring On The Dancing Horses and Disco Futuro. Correct me on that if I got that pronunciation wrong. Um, when he isn't behind the counter at Piccadilly Records or behind the wheels of steel around town, he'll be working on his record label Talking Drums. I'm really excited for the chat today, not just because I've had a really hellish day at work, um, but it's something that's going to be really fun and I've really been looking forward to for quite a while. Uh, and it's definitely one for the heads. Uh, I've given the podcast the title of The Art of Collecting Vinyl because, make no mistake, it is an art and a bloody fun one at that. <laughs> Um, I really want to dive into the joys of digging, uh, what makes really good record artwork, how we should approach a trip to the record shops and where we should spend our money online or in the store. But before I go any further, please do subscribe and give us a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube or on SoundCloud. Do me a solid uh, and I'll keep slinging over great conversations for you. So with all that being said, hello Pat, welcome to the podcast. I hope you're well. How have you been? Uh, hi, I'm good. Yeah, very happy to be here. Uh, nice to talk about music. Um, having been furloughed for a lot of the year and then only being in the shop intermittently since then with like working from home and stuff, the, my number of conversations about music per week has dropped from, I don't know, like 100 to about 10. So mm -hmm. it's good to have the opportunity to chat. By the way, I was, I'm just typing down some extra notes there because you've already, you've already brought up several topics that would be really great to touch on as well. Um, yeah, one thing I wanted to address for you first as well was the fact that we can't actually do this in person. Um, just for everyone listening and watching, when we were arranging the podcast, Pat said he'd love to come over, bring some beers and have a chat face to face. And I was really really excited for that but unfortunately at this point in time i don't have the equipment yet i'd like to have two cameras two mics and stuff um but i just want to let everyone who's watching listening and following know that that will be happening eventually whenever i pull my finger out my ass and get some more money for it um <laughs> also when everything's covid safe um all yeah, of, of yeah um but um, yeah, it was a real shame because I really, really loved the idea and um, the studio I've got around the corner. I really want to get a little podcast set up there with a booth and we can, we can chat face to face. Yeah. That's great. So next I'll time, line, you up, line you up for a second one. <laughs> sure. um, but it is really cool to get you on the podcast. You know, I'm super keen to get into all the waxy goodness. But before we do that, it'd be great to get a bit of a musical history of Pat. I mentioned some highlights in my intro but can you tell us where your love affair with music started? Uh, um, what your best memories have been since then? So like a real whistle-stop tour of like your whole musical journey. Okay, uh, yeah, big question. Shortish answer. Um, I always enjoyed music. Um, I have uh, two older sisters and two older cousins who I saw quite a lot of who were always playing music. Um, and introduced me to a lot of stuff when I was a teenager. Um, and I was also a teenager during the time of uh, the glory days of Napster, Kazaa, Audio Galaxy, the death of the music industry as it was at the time. So 
while you know the plethora of poor quality mp3 downloads did nothing for artist sales and support in the industry it did at the time allow me to hear an unbelievable amount of music mm-hmm. and like i would be obsessional and go from like listening to every single west coast g-funk track i could find from the preceding 10 years mm-hmm. to then like you know every uncle related release every uh dj shadow uh related release downbeat trip hop house music whatever mm-hmm. and then i came to university and was kind of lucky to fall in with some people um who were like were into music one guy who people in bands and one guy who dj'd called jake um who used to he was like obsessed with the clash mm-hmm. and uh Clash, Jesus and Mary Chain, and The Fall. Um, but just at that time, uh, Electro Clash was happening. Mm-hmm. And um, so he he DJed a bit. And so I hung out with him a lot. And then I'd always wanted to do it and started playing records. And kind of, he got me into it. And though, like, I suppose that we had small areas where our taste overlapped in that era, it's like... I, it's still, I w- probably wouldn't be collecting records to the extent I do if I hadn't had the opportunity to meet him. And then from there, it was been it, like that then music then became the central reason that I know people and mm-hmm. that the vast majority of my friendships are based on music mm-hmm. um, with people in this country, abroad, um, and I suppose some of my best memories, apart from, I have great memories of DJing and I have great memories of digging mm-hmm. um, and some amazing experiences in the shop since I started working there. Mm-hmm. Like I got to spend three hours with James Murphy from LCD Sound System one afternoon, pulling records for him and talking about music. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. He'd been like, he was a very, very big influence on me when I was in my early twenties. Mm-hmm. So it was like, crazy to meet him and spend that much time with him chatting about music um but yeah digging and the ability like i through music i've managed to go on a little tour in italy with a friend called marco that was like an amazing time and met loads of great people and went to loads of record shops similarly the opportunity to go to paris to play records or to go to berlin and play records and like to be able to have those experiences, I, I would not have been able to do it if it hadn't been for music. So that's that, that's pretty nice. That's special. Yeah, that's really special. It's amazing. There's loads we can dig into here, isn't there? Um, first of all, um, obviously the glory days of Napster. I mean, that probably destroyed your parents' computer as well. <laughs> like, oh, there yeah. were serious viruses on that bad boy. <laughs> Undoubtedly, the thing I used to love the most was when the the idea of the techno remix. There'd be mm. a file, any file, and it would be, I don't know, like a um, Braveheart theme, techno <laughs> remix. And it would not be in any way techno, would yeah. be a lot Braveheart. But yeah, they, yeah. like, who was churning these things out? I think, and what, um, what worms were hidden in them? Yeah, I remember. Sadly, I didn't go to Ibiza when my friends did when they were 17. I don't know, I missed out. It was like a very much like a lad's trip. 
Um, but I remember they just had this great style. At the time, they thought it was the best thing in the world. But I think they were in Pasha when, who was it? I think it was even Pasha when David Guetta played the trance remix of Pirates of the Caribbean. And they were like, this is the best thing ever. This is brilliant. Oh. <laughs> and they look back at it now and they're like, that's just fucking ridiculous. But really, yeah. really funny. But um, that's very yeah. Funny. Uh, I think another thing there that was really interesting is like you obviously on the cusp of that that revolution when it comes to digital downloads and uh, it's something I want to talk about a bit later as well because this sort of push and pull between vinyl and digital and did you feel at the time like you were at like the real cusp of a really big thing here or were you just sort of like this is free music like you know did you sort of have that uh, appreciation of music at that point where you were like this is like I have sacred knowledge at my fingertips. I can get anything I want. Yeah, maybe. I think the, the that era, I suppose, if I'd have been a bit older, I'd have been able to exploit it in a devilish way. Um, but then, if you didn't know what to look for, mm-hmm. then, the, like nowadays, I think, with a lot of the file sharing, the way that the internet changed that there are different like peer-to-peer and seed download things and communities um is my understanding that you can like everything's up there mm-hmm. to be a member of these communities you have to have ripped whatever whatever vinyl it is has to be uploaded in like the perfect file format the perf- perfect quality every there's like a standard and it seems difficult. It, to be honest, the reason I'm not involved in any of this is because it seems way more hard work and meticulous than I could ever manage to pull off. Mm. But nowadays, I think that if you see on Instagram um, a cool digger or a great record collector posting a really interesting album mm-hmm. that you would never be able to hear, mm-hmm. nowadays you can just go onto whatever program, whatever like website or whatever and download it yeah and you'll get it whereas then the music that was available through napster kazar audio galaxy limewire mm-hmm. was um i suppose a bit more mainstream mm-hmm. not entirely mainstream but th- there were less independent releases nothing vinyl only ever went on there really yeah so it was a different kind of music but at the same time i did feel extremely fortunate and then st- almost straight after that was the blog era mm-hmm. where you had people like and, and that in a way was like a precursor to the what cd type thing where you had people like um love fingers mm-hmm. on the finger tracks website mm-hmm. and every day he'd post a rip of the track mm-hmm. and they'd all be amazing and they'd cover all kinds of music and you'd never have come across it otherwise. And there were other people doing the same thing and there was the forum culture then as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that in that, that time, maybe the beginning, for, for me as a teenager, using LimeWire, Napster, whatever, having that, free, that opportunity to get, to hear um, a variety of different types of music that I wouldn't have heard otherwise, just that I could get and listen to and enjoy and understand was great and was part of a like learning experience with music. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the next step of it was that then when there were these 
It's like you, you move from, from, in my case, a small town, you move to a city, you meet more people, you have more conversations about music, they know about things you don't know about, and they tell you about them. And that's how you learn these new things. And you're learning stuff on your, your own. And that's amazing. Um, and the blogs were just like that, but on a global scale, mm-hmm. where, like, that was when, you, you know, it was really, that's when, that's when shit got serious, I suppose, with the whole digging aspect of it, was that you could get some deep knowledge mm-hmm. from other people. And the same on the forums that used to be around. Um, okay. It's like a, a shame that that culture's died a bit. I enjoyed, I enjoyed the forums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you think the forums have maybe morphed into more of these Facebook communities? I'm part of a few. There's a World of Echoes. I think that was run by Francois K as well. I think that one. But there's, there's maybe it's alive, but maybe it's morphed into away from stuff like Reddit. Although the, Red, the Reddit communities there are still pretty good. But it, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, what I wanted to talk about next, um, still picking up on your, your original um, uh, answer is, um, you know, moving to university and, you know, sort of falling into DJing. You know, it's, from what you said, you know, you were lucky to fall into the right crowd. And I think you've got a very similar trajectory as me in that, like, I started DJing or like really appreciating music and records relatively late. And when I say relatively late, I mean 21, 22. Um, and then, but from there, it was like an exponential, like, this is sick, man. Um, but did you find a similar sort of, um, trajectory? Cause I know you said like your sister and cousin were feeding your music when you were a lot younger. Um, or did that, was that how it seemed to go for you? Yeah. Uh, I think when I was the, my sisters and my cousins are of the like, uh, indie era and age group like late 80s early 90s into Britpop was kind of like their thing and what they were into so a lot of the music I heard was like that and they were from a much more from a live music and going to gigs background as I would become interested in um on the like kind of collecting and DJing side of things so but as a teenager I thought the idea of being able to have a record collection and pull things out and play them mm-hmm. and to DJ seemed like the coolest thing in the world and seemed like something I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I got my first year out of the way at university and hung out and like would take the odd record to like Trough in Fallowfield if my friend was playing and I'd put a couple on and that'd be that. And it was it, the after first year I think I did some like shitty call center job mm-hmm. for two weeks and then used the money to buy, buy a really cheap pair of turntables that were like pretty enough mm-hmm. um, and a mixer. And then I had those set up in the student house I lived in and I played records and I played nonstop from then really. And then was just again like, people knew me through other people and they knew I had records and I started getting gigs in bars and then you get and you get like some reinforcement that what you what you like other people like and what you're doing people can get on board with and you know and also you have the moments where you play things and you think well that was a complete error to play and now if I think back I think of some of the records I used to play in bars Mm -hmm. and I think 
that is insane. That is an insane decision you made to play that record. Why would you ever do that? And if I'm in a bar and I hear someone playing in the same way as I used to play, I think, like, Jesus, it's like, there's people trying to eat over here. It's like, <laughs> you can't be playing like, like nosebleed techno. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. why would you do that? But, you, yeah. but I was young. I didn't have, at the time, any club gigs. It was like, this record's amazing. And I guess you, you get excited. You think, well, well I'll play this. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah but, I've, got some, uh, I've got some very similar horror stories from my time playing at Font. Um, just for all listeners and watchers as well, uh, I used to work at the Font Bar in Manchester. Pat did too, not at the same time. But yeah. Pat also DJed there, and so did I. And yeah, I've got some, yeah, just when midnight would come around and I'd just start playing, like, really, I was like, this is like banging though. This is like edgy, but this is really cool. It's like, but Liam, come on. Like, and in retro, you look back and you're like, well, yeah, that's probably why people are a bit mad sometimes. Like, don't do that. I think, I think in retrospect, the edgier things and the cooler things you could get away with at Font mm. um, in the, the first few years I played records there. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. the clientele changed over the time and the vibe changed a bit but yeah. initially it was you were all right but yeah I still played some things that I yeah. now would like cringe at playing but I think everyone does right I've done yeah. the same consistently I imagine that once I'm allowed behind a set of decks again in public mm. I will play something that sometime in the future I will think god <laughs> why did you do that but that's part of it that's part of the fun you have to take the risks or there's you know like nothing worse than hearing someone play like now that's what i call disco yeah for an hour you know what i mean it's like all right well this is great but like where's your personality that brings us on to a really great topic which could be a podcast in itself as well but about like the the role of the DJ in a bar and because I saw this because when I was D I used to DJ a lot at um, Odd Bar which is gone now and um, Blue yeah. Pig and yeah, I yeah. saw like this clientele change in the space of about three months this wave from um, Printworks moved up and I ended up getting like a list being like you need to play literally house every weekend was the top of the list and at this point in time, like I was DJing so much because I needed the money to like subsidize my normal job. It really became, it really became a job in itself. And it was like, yeah. it took like a year out after that. Cause I was like, this, it started off so well. I was like, I'm getting gigs in bars. This is really cool. And then you realize, well, actually like you're there to like fulfill a role in this case. You're not like the DJ, the educator. Um, and that makes me sound like a real pretentious twat, but that, you know, that sort of vibe, isn't it? Like, um, yeah. So yeah, it's a bit of push and pull. And I think I'd, I'd be happy to do a few bar slots again now, but I think I'd very much cherry pick them in the right way. But I've also got a greater understanding of what, what, what a bar DJ is and what you're there for. And if you do it right, it can be amazing. Um, so I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well, it's interesting. Like there is a similarity there. And I think it's something a few, that quite a lot of people go, through when I was when I was in my early twenties, when I was at Font, I played three or four times a week, mm -hmm. um, mostly in bars. Mm -hmm. When I left Font, I probably played four or five times a week, mostly in bars. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I would say half of those gigs were in student bars. Mm -hmm. I was becoming older than mm -hmm. the students who would be there. My go-to, like, here are some pop hits of the moment that you can throw into your set but don't make you want to die, yeah. um, were stale for the people who were coming in. Yeah, yeah. And so I had the music I wanted to play, uh -huh. music that I didn't want to play, but they didn't want to hear. And yeah. I didn't have the music they wanted to hear. And I played, I reached a point where I could no longer play that amount of gigs that were that, were just about the money. Yeah. Um, and I think that if you have, at the time we finished doing Dancing Horses as well. Mm -hmm when we were doing it because that was like I had free reign could play whatever I wanted mm -hmm. and it was like an expression of my taste at the time things I was interested with and the music there changed over the time we were doing it mm -hmm. because of that change in um in tastes I um I thought that like it, having a creative outlet means that you can just earn the money that you need to earn mm -hmm. on the other gigs without being as bothered about wanting to play certain things. <laughs> Once Dancing Horses stopped and I was still playing four times a week and I had nowhere good, nowhere that was like super enjoyable to play. I had a couple of bars. I used to love playing in Odd. I played there every Friday, every other Friday for like six years or seven years. Mm -hmm. And it was very good fun. Um, yeah. But the other, some of the other gigs were like lame ducks. And I had to, I stopped doing them. I got the job at the shop and then I cut down my DJing to like maybe twice a month yeah, for yeah. a good few years because and now I play in bars sometimes um, and I enjoy it a lot, but I, it, it, the, the, what the space is has to be something that I, um, have an interest in or that excites me and I think as well I have to I want to play I'm going to go I'm going to play what I play Yeah. if the venue don't like it then that's fine and like I played we tried it, it didn't yeah, work yeah, yeah. and that's that, someone else plays next time mm -hmm. but like and I think from that point of view, I, when I was younger, I'd have been bothered. I'd have been like, if I didn't get the gig, I'd mm -hmm. have been like, oh no, I've messed it up. Yeah. And it's like, it's just not the right place for you. And so there are other places where doing what I do will be appreciated. I'll do, do it there. Yeah. I, don't th I think that that's, like a, that's been a change for me. But certainly there is an art to bar DJing. Mm -hmm. And like, there are great bar DJs and not so great ones. Mm -hmm. But also, I think I'd be sad to, at some point the bars stopped having DJs as much, mm. um, maybe 18 months ago. And I'd be sad to see that go in a way because I think that even though quite a lot of bar sets could be replaced by a Spotify playlist, and it would function just the same from the point of view of the people who are in there drinking. I think that it's, it would be like losing the 
grassroots band scene mm. and like or the open mic scene because when you are just learn when you're setting out and you're learning to dj and you're starting to collect records and stuff like that having an outlet where you can go there's no dance floor so if you play a howler it doesn't have that much of an effect like you'd have to play a consistent string of shitters to make people you know down their pints and leave mm-hmm. so you have more you have an opportunity to play out and i think that people should have that opportunity to go and do that mm-hmm. and it would be a shame if that went yeah yeah absolutely right where this is like a little quick fire question for you then where's like the number one venue or space in town which is a bar which you think oh i'd love to play there and i haven't yet based on ambient decor based on everything man what a question i that's difficult because i suppose like i'm at a point where uh newer places Mm. i haven't been to because i guess i don't go out that much and uh older places i probably play i've played most of them Mm -hmm. um i'd be interested uh not in town but like the the idea of playing at plant shop in stockport and getting a um getting paid in plants (laughs) sounds pretty good to me it's like i'm quite uh always quite a fan of the of getting paid in kind sometimes i enjoy that like I there's um like I enjoy playing all the shapes in Presswich. Mm-hmm. Like the food's amazing. So mm-hmm. you play records, you get some amazing food. Mm-hmm. It's like on a gig like that where you can play what you want, mm-hmm. having like a tab cover covered and something to eat is uh is pretty nice. But yeah. in terms of places to play, I've never played Partisan, which I know isn't quite a bar, but yeah, and it's between a bar and a club. But I think I'd always I always quite like to play there. Yeah. They're moving to Islington Mill now, aren't they? But I'm not sure if that's like the venue, because I've not heard anything from Islington Mill for ages. Mm. And um, if I'm right, I'm thinking it's still a uh, like creative hub and studios, but with just not the, the venue attached to it. So maybe, I don't, I don't know what's going on with them, but I hope they can run events there or yeah. find somewhere to do that. Because yeah, I've been to Partizan once or twice and it is really, really cool. Um, I suppose I'd say for me, just uh, purely in a bar atmosphere and vibe, I really like Cottonopolis. Like it's a nice, oh, yeah. have you, have you played there before? Not played. I've been in a couple of times mm. and it is a, it is a, like the space is nice. Mm. Mm. Cool. So we are, we're about 25 minutes into this already. And we're just about to get onto the second question, which was going to okay. be an icebreaker. But I think we could probably, yeah. I think we've probably broken the ice enough now. We're like, hit me with an icebreaker. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it was like a little quick fire um, round of questions. So, yeah, whatever comes to your head first. Um, so, first, like, what are your top three labels right now and why? Uh, top three labels at the moment. So, uh, I, a label that have been great this year, OK Spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, which is uh, those guys have put out um, some weird dubby records mm-hmm. um, and like some experimental things. And then for me, the most interesting club track of a year where no one's been able to go to clubs mm-hmm. came out on OK Spirit, a uh, Uridem record called Soil Stretch. That I found very interesting. 
so that, that's that's a really good label um i love um the periodica releases like i've got a lot of stuff on that that label and i think that like it's been interesting how in the past few years a lot of the people on the label are from naples and the they have like found their own sound mm-hmm. um as an area and community and the releases are really good uh so yeah periodical i enjoy okay spirit um i have a you know i have every record on growing bin um that's uh and that's a varied label as well with the stuff it puts out mm-hmm. so yeah maybe those three at the moment ah cool and then what were the last three records you bought Aha. Yes, something I prepared earlier. <laughs> so this Erotica record mm-hmm. on Les Orange. Uh that was that's that's something I bought recently. Uh this is the last thing I bought, which is a record by Louis Crelier mm-hmm. on uh, Caldera. And that's the first record on Caldera, mm-hmm. um, which is exciting. And then this is the Pablo album, mm-hmm. which is on Periodica. Amazing. The aforementioned Periodica. Cool. Um, which club are you most excited to get back to once lockdown is over? Probably White Hotel. Um, <laughs> it's no competition, you know. Every person I ask says the same thing. Well, <laughs> I mean that in a way that's like an indictment as much as that is to the credit of White Hotel for being an amazing club and it's like a great space and it's like man anything goes it's good Mm. and they program it well but in a way it's also an indictment of the way that the nightlife in Manchester and club scenes changed Mm. since probably since Smoking Ban and Warehouse Project Mm. um I think those two things have had a, uh, amongst other things, but have had a very negative aspect, uh, like impact on clubbing in Manchester. Um, like the fact that for all of the like negative things people might have to say about Sankeys, for instance, the fact that Manchester doesn't really have a kind of, mainstream in its appearance design and size um but still like house Mm. and techno club really is like a crazy thing Mm -hmm. like it to me that seems shocking that somewhere the size of manchester Mm -hmm. doesn't have that for all of its like pros and cons Sankey's brought people from around the Northwest mm-hmm. to come and listen to house music on great speakers, a great system, and watch DJs who were like famous, but not like famous and played a proper set. Yeah. In a way that like is completely different from what Warehouse Project is. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think that I watched as Warehouse Project choked the small venues and the small promoters 
mm. who were putting on smaller parties choked the life out of them, really. Like if you book, if you if over one weekend you've got 40 DJs playing 45 minute sets in your venue and none of those DJs are allowed to play anywhere else mm. for, for like three months either side of the gig, then the level of DJ who would be playing to a 200 capacity room as a like main guest that's like on the way up that supports part of the scene and that you'd want to put on like you know if I, that I, someone knew who I'm excited about like I don't know like Erotica, right that record there I've heard two records I've thought they're great it's like maybe oh this would be exciting we could put them on maybe like some people who are in the know or who trust your judgment you're going to get those people down. You'll have a nice party. Mm-hmm. Except that the people of that level or just above that level get sucked in to this thing, can't play anywhere else. And then because they can't play anywhere else, you can't put them on because yeah. you can't put those gigs on. The venues you'd have put them on in struggle for content. Mm. And you have all these places around town that are putting on tribute acts and mm. stuff on a regular basis that fills up their booking, that isn't that interesting, that starts to like tail off. Mm-hmm. And then those those clubs shut, like Roadhouse shut yeah. in. Irreplaceable venue, gone. Sankey's is shut. There's loads of places in like the student areas that were going for a bit and now aren't open anymore. Mm-hmm. And places that have opened and shut down since. Yeah. In the meantime, I haven't been able to make a go of it. So yeah, so White Hotel is amazing, but there should be more. There should be a more varied answer to that question amongst people you ask. Although I will say that I love Soup Kitchen, and I don't know how that will function with the way they've changed it inside to try and survive COVID, and they've put tables in and booths and stuff, and changed the way it's set up a little bit to make it more of a bar and restaurant. I don't know whether that all comes out. For them to have club events again, I don't know. Um, and then Cosmic Slop in Leeds would be the other place that I'd be looking forward to go to. Really, I've heard really good things about co- Cosmic Slop parties. I've not been myself, but um, yeah, it's sad about stuff like that. Like Mantra was another big loss. I've, yeah, I've, uh, I've been. I went. To, I went to a Homo Electric there, and I went to watch. Was it Kerry Chandler? It was a few years ago now, or maybe. Yeah. But. Um, that seemed like a really, really cool venue. And I mean, where I live now, Sankey's, well, Sankey's was about 100 metres away. And yeah, um, Mantra Warehouse is about 300 metres away, so that's where my studio is. And it is sad to see that these places get shut down. Me and me and Sean, um, for anyone who's listening as well, he's a, he's a writer in, um, for all my friends. We wrote an article about it, about like how the town was getting choked of these these venues but then also at the end we did notice that a lot of other places were opening too yes opened partisan opened um and for a while there was a club called cotton but i don't think it really took off Cotton uh, club, yeah yeah but um yeah it is bad i do think it, i do think it could be worse so so oh yeah i mean 100 percent could be worse um i hope it i hope it that there's a I hope there's a comeback I suppose I hope that things improve um what, what a big problem is again the, like the outside of the music part of it is just the investment in the city centre and the amount of it that's becoming residential 
Mm -hmm. It's like if residential area, like, you know, for instance, uh, Nam in town mm. near you, actually, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, great, great. They have an unbelievable sound system. Mm. But when you play there, you can only play it like but just above a whisper mm. because of the sound complaint, the noise complaints they get from the residential area around there. Mm. And it's like, well, at some point there has to be, like, I know they've changed it now so that if there's a venue and places become residential around it, mm. then it's, you know, they still get to make noise. Yeah. But if you live in the city centre and you want to live in the city centre and you want to have that experience, then you might have to put up with the fact that it's noisy in the city centre. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I am, like I'm that. part of the Ancoats Neighbourhood Watch group and there's a lot of curtain twitching that goes on. Uh, <laughs> and it, part for, yeah. me, for me, it's very much like, why, why live here? Don't live here. Like, yeah. And obviously we're in Ancoats, which is traditionally a, you know, a pretty rough neighbourhood and people True. are complaining about it being rough. And I'm like, you know, you've gentrified this whole area and kicked loads of people out, so you've got to deal with it, essentially. Like, that's True. what makes... That, that's what makes a city alive and vibrant. It's a bit rough, it's a bit dodgy, but you know, you don't get creativity in sterile pretamongers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I wonder where I wonder where in Manchester, like the the pri property prices going up means that you have to have like a return if you're gonna set something up. If if you're setting it up from a DIY basis, you've got to be able to balance the books so that you can have a venue that's cool and interesting and independent and you're doing your thing, but that you can afford to pay your bills. Like in the example, for the example of yes, mm. and the example and partisan at the same time, you have like two ends of the spectrum there where partisan is like a collective and like non-for-profit really. And they run it the way they run it. And it's very communal and it's like grassroots, I suppose. And yes, is like kind of worked out and balanced and there's like it is a they they have a sustainable business model mm. but it's a business model and there are investors and there are people that they have to answer to and they have to make the money that's been put into it they have to make that back mm. and so like but yes is an example maybe the difference between yes and cotton is that Yes is an example where investors backed some people who'd been putting on events, who'd been promoting, who'd been booking things, who'd been doing what they were doing and been part of the scene in Manchester musically for like 15, 20 years, who knew what they were doing and who had a name and could be trusted. And those people carried on doing what they were doing, but in a new venue, whereas with Cotton, there was an investment, but maybe there weren't the there wasn't the same experience and the same like the people who were involved maybe didn't have the same connection to the way the music scene works, the way promotion works, to to the right people to book and the right things to put on. I mean, they had I, I, I can't remember now who it was, but they put on some ridiculous DJs. Like ridiculous DJs that are amazing and no one went. Mm. Like, you know, if I work around the corner in a record shop and I do, as, as the like lead dance buyer, 
and I don't hear about that gig until after it's happened. Yeah. Now appreciated, I'm like old in yeah. that respect compared to like the going out age group, but I still go out, and I should have I should have known without me having to find out about what the latest thing is. Yeah. And it, so if you're looking for why something shut down, it's like you can't spend however much money on booking whoever and no one know about it. Yeah. So that's, that's, that was maybe their problem. Mm. Cool. Um, okay. Last icebreaker, which DJ band or producer are you most excited about at the moment? Mm. Today, today, Peg, <laughs> you. In the past hour. <laughs> well, no, just just on today on today's notes, Peggy Goo. But uh, oh yeah, um, a bit of a yeah, a bit of a, a fracas. I think is uh, is the case. Uh, Industry fracas. But no, who am I most excited about? Um, yeah, well, the the Uriden records have been really cool. Yak, I think, is very very interesting. Mm. Um, He's a guy from Leeds mm-hmm. who is like, I suppose he sits at the thing that's going on at the moment where people are making house and techno, um, but with like a breakbeat mm. or hardcore continuum attitude, except that without being retroist. Mm. So there's always, always been a lot of people who will like, you know, get some hardcore breaks, get some pianos, pitch up a vocal it's breaks house right great whereas this is a different thing where someone's doing something that's like a little more there's something cooler about it there's something more interesting mm-hmm. and something newer about it um also phaser boys mm-hmm. those guys um and the label they run candomblé they've put out very very interesting records that are like exciting um and again the do a number of different things work with different styles but are trying to push things in an interesting direction i think fantastic brilliant that is the ice officially shattered (laughs) um so let's get into like the the main topic of of the show the the big one um i want to start with like a really big open-ended question and we can hone in on there and and pick it apart um so why is record collecting so great and what is the best thing about spending a few hours in a record store go at that (laughs) go at that okay um I, th- I suppose that with record collecting, the one thing is that there's such an enormous variety of music that's come out mm-hmm. over the years. There are so many records out there. You can find so many new things. You can find, there's, there's different things that make it amazing. Like I, where was I recently? I, I can only think that it must've been King B over lockdown when it, like lockdown had been lifted mm. and I bought um oh no it wasn't it was X Records in Bolton mm-hmm. I went and uh, one of the things I came home with was um referencing Jazzy Jeff summertime right now that's not well your microphone was going a bit funny then but it's fine now so keep going okay, yeah. okay. so yeah um Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince summertime right mm. 
that is a really famous record. It's kind of good and kind of math, mm-hmm. very poppy, but also interesting. And I bought it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure at some point I will get rid of that record out of my collection for space purposes. But at that moment, I picked up that record and I was taken back in time mm. to a different moment in my life where like, if, if the 14 year old me, 15 year old me had found that record, I would have been delighted. I'd have been ecstatic and it would have been amazing. I'd have been like, yes, I found this. This is amazing, brilliant. And it would have been pride of place. Now, I've heard a lot more music since then, mm-hmm. but that affection for it's still there. And I got to have that experience for like a pound or yeah. something. It's like, it cost me a pound. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's amazing. And so even if I only enjoy that fleetingly before I pass it on to someone else and they get to have that experience, mm-hmm. that was a, a great thing for me. On the other hand, you've got the... So you, you find things you know, and that's something that I know and that has a sentimental value, I suppose. Then there are other records that you know and you want to have it as part of your collection and you've either heard someone else play it or you know it however you know it. Mm-hmm. You don't own it, but you want it and you, you like enjoy it so much and you want to own it. Um, and you find it and it's like, I've caught it in the wild. Yeah. Amazing. And that feeling of catching something in the wild is different than going on Discogs yeah. and buying something. Mm-hmm. Not to, not that Discogs can't be amazing and isn't amazing, but it's mm-hmm. always a bit more special when you turn it up yourself yeah. and when you didn't know it was going to be there. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. And then, then there's the thing of like finding records you don't know that you just pick up because of the sleeve, because of you know, the label it's on, because of what it looks like, because of something about it makes you listen Mm -hmm. and it's great and it was amongst a pile of 10 things that you picked up Mm -hmm. that you listened to that were absolute garbage and you uh like you know you you listen to the clips like you listen skip through it on the turntable like oh god oh god oh god and you hoped it was in one of those shops where they have a turntable with headphones Mm -hmm. not one of the ones where you have to go to the counter and say to the person behind the counter, oh, do you mind just giving, a, giving me a bit of this? And you put it on, and it's like terrible, terrible music. And it's like, oh, man, I'm like, if this had been good, it would have been okay. Yeah. But it's like every one of these records that turns out to be a howler yeah. that this person has to play out on these speakers in the shop means they're less likely to put on the thing that might be good. yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing. And then, I guess records have merit, like, there's, there's merits to records as well from the point of view of, like, for instance, something that I, things that I quite like to buy are uh, pseudo Paisley records mm-hmm. and pseudo Sade records. So I buy Sade, so I, I love Sade, right? Mm-hmm. There were loads of people the different labels across the world like snapped up and pushed to be the next Sade or the Swedish Sade or mm. the Italian Sade. And it's like, 
proper knockoff stuff. But there's still something about it. And obviously none of them took off because there's only one Sade. But it's kind of fun finding a record where you're like, oh man, this is like, there's an uncanny thing about it maybe, where it's like, it's almost Sade, but not quite. But the area where it's not quite is pretty interesting. (laughs) The same with people ripping off Prince. And like, the vast majority of like, there's so many records came out that it's like, well, this is just a Prince ripoff. Someone ripping off Prince's funk sound. Yeah. But it's kind of brilliant at the same time. If removed from the context of, oh, they were just trying to do Prince, mm. which when it came out, you would just think, well, this is just a Prince knockoff. Now, because it may be because those people never made it mm. off his coattails, they were just some people who tried it and didn't quite. Now you can hear the record and go, you know what? This is quite good. Yeah. There is something here. Like, so that's interesting. That like, and that, that's like a small scratch at the surface of, mm. of record collecting. And the other thing, the thing that's something that's amazing about spending hours in a record shop is people. Mm. The people you see come in and go, the, everyone who's there is there for music. Mm-hmm. And is there because of a attachment to music that means they've gone out of their way to collect it in its most impractical form, mm-hmm. almost. Like, records are amazing. They're a pain in the ass to store. It's a really expensive way of, of having a music collection. Uh, that nowadays with the other options people have is like wildly impractical. So to put yourself through the negative side of it, Mm. then it means that you must be truly into the positive side of it. So, and if you're into the positive side of it, well then like, I guess you've got something in common with everyone else who's there. And you know, you hear amazing conversations. There are great people who work behind the counter in record shops. And you hear great conversations between the people who work there. You'll hear, you know, you'll be in Kingby and you'll hear a conversation about specific pressings of, I don't know, like UK, like psych records. Mm-hmm. I don't really know anything about it, but I overhear it. And it's like, these people who are chatting, they love this. They're so into it. They know so much about it. They couldn't have that conversation anywhere else but that shop. And I couldn't overhear their conversation anywhere else but that shop. And maybe I'll learn something. Maybe I'll hear something crazy that said, maybe there'll be a point where they mention a record by this group that was released later or something or by one of them. And I'll go, ah, I know that weird disco record. I didn't realize that person who made that record was actually from this different musical background. And they were just trying to get on the disco train. Yeah. yeah. And their odd and failed attempt, which none of their original fans who like their old stuff liked and didn't hit with the disco crowd and make any waves. But I think is a great weird record. I never knew that. I've learned something. Wow, this is interesting. So maybe that. Yeah. The community yeah. aspect of it. 
There's a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of angles we can go here. I think I'll I think I'll stick to my script for now. We'll go with the next question. Okay. Don't jump ahead. Um, but yeah, you know, I think as a DJ, there is something like quite powerful about going into the shop and you know buying the physical copy. And you know, maybe I feel that quite strongly, you know, because for me, due to my age, it's a bit more of a novelty. You know, I'm not saying that I I grew up in the digital era. You know, Napster was coming around and LimeWire when I was about 12 or 13. So, you know, I've still I've I've still held CDs. I still know what like a, a cassette is, but I was very much in that 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 transition to digital. Um, so yeah, it is a bit of a novelty. Um, you know, not massively, but still a bit. Um, but I think the process of looking for records and that physical journey, even to actually get to the store, you know, adds much more weight to your purchase rather than like downloading something on Beatport. So do you feel that's the case? I think you do. <laughs> but can you also explain how this can positively impact a DJ when they're playing out in the club or even in a bar? Okay, well, I think that like, uh, if you'd have asked me 10 years ago, I'd have said, real DJs play vinyl. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not proper. I don't think that now. Play on whatever format you want if you're playing out, as long as it's good. Mm -hmm. But there is something that Theo Parrish said that I kind of agree with, which is that if someone rocks up to the club with a bag of records and someone else rocks up to the club with a laptop, with... 20,000 tracks mm. I'm going to hold the person who has 20,000 records with them to a higher standard of what that set does mm. because their options and the scope they can take it to is much is, is limit, almost limitless mm. so you got to do something really impressive to do that for me to think fair enough um, and part of that comes from having experiences where watching people who played records move over to playing digital when laptop DJing became the thing. Like that was something that was part of my experience. Everyone played on record. Mm -hmm. Then suddenly some people started playing on laptop. And to me, the sets that the people who played um, moved to laptops began to play were far less interesting mm. once they played. Firstly, there's like, even with the best mixing in the world, you're going to like, there's going to be a few moments where you have to like ride the lightning and get yourself out of jail or like, you know, happy accidents happen, but something that lets you know that like it's real or there's a skip. It's yeah. like, who cares? It's a skip. Yeah. The perfection of digital DJing can be a bit dull. Yeah. Also, because of the way you interact with a record bag versus the way you interact with music on a computer, that maybe it was, I think, for a lot of these people, and maybe this is only the case for people who moved from DJing physically to digitally. Maybe it's different for people who always DJ digitally. But I heard people play the same set over and over again. Yeah. Because they have their records, they know mix into each other mm. and know work together. And it's all set up already so that they have their loop points or whatever. And you know that if they're going to play that thing after that thing, 
they're going to bring it in at the same time, the same part of the song and the same part of the song every time in a way that like, if you're playing on vinyl, no matter how good you know your records, it's like, if you know, you pause to have a drink or you can't find your record in your record bag, you find it a minute later than you should have done because you have the insane blindness that afflicts us all when going through a record bag or through your racks at home where you cannot find that record you know you've packed it you look through it 10 times and it is eventually there and it must have been there all along but how did you miss it if you if that happens then you're bringing it in later than you would be otherwise and it changes the way your set is in a way that is like different to people playing digitally maybe there's a bit it's easier to be to repeat yourself and to be pristine maybe in a way that loses soul if you want to call it that that it loses a, uh, an expression of humanity maybe yeah um going to a record shop yeah you have the excitement of going to a record shop like i to be honest i've never bought anything off beatport mm. and that's a personal choice like i don't i know people who, who work there at different times you know i know people who worked at juno download like there's nothing, I have nothing against it. It's just that it's never been a part of my life or what I do. Mm-hmm. But I imagine, and it's the same with Bandcamp, which I do buy things on sometimes, that the excitement of clicking download to get the wavs of that thing is uh, fractional compared to the feeling of going to a shop. And when you're going to a shop, you don't even know if you're going to find anything. Mm. Whereas if you're, if you're buying the thing on Bandcamp, you know you want it. You're getting that thing that you know you want. Whereas, yeah, so like, that is different. There's, the, there's like anticipation and excitement. You don't know what you're going to find. Mm-hmm. You might listen to records for three hours and not find anything you want. Mm. Or find something you want, but it might be too expensive and you have to leave it. You also, though might find things you would never have heard otherwise that are amazing. You might go in and have a brilliant conversation with a member of staff there or with another customer where you're looking at something and they go, oh, you should try such a track on that record. You'll love it. And you go, all right. And you listen to it. And maybe you do love it. Or maybe you don't like that track. And maybe you like two tracks after and that's your thing and you say to that person ah, i see what you mean but it's this one for me and it's it's a uh, it's just more exciting i suppose more connection yeah yeah one point i wanted to pick up on there really quickly was the thing you said about um you know the soulless almost ease of like laptop djing and for me for a while i got very in my own head about it because i was like every mix needs to be seamless. That is what makes a good DJ. I think everyone probably goes through a phase like that, but certainly at the time I was doing a lot of stuff on Serato because it was easier to take to bars if you're playing a lot. And I was like picking up, I was really getting into my disco. So I had like Jackie Moore, This Time Baby, City Houston, Think It Over. And obviously they're all unquantized. So I was like, why isn't this working? I was like, like, it needs to sound seamless. It needs to sound sick. And like now, obviously, like the, the two aren't like mutually exclusive. You don't need; they, they, it doesn't matter. 
Um, but yeah, for ages, I was like, these need, these need, that's what good DJing is. And obviously now I don't, I don't think that at all, but it's interesting that you mentioned that. Um, cause now, yeah, obviously I do feel like as a vinyl DJ, I've, I see some vinyl DJs. I'm in, in the same, um, um, ballpark as you as well in the sense that play what you want like if you're mixing music and you're making a nice atmosphere you're a DJ it doesn't matter how you do it but I do sometimes find vinyl DJs who are like you make us look bad because you you've got it easy and I, I think for me um, you make yourself look bad if you do a shit mix regardless of what you do so I think um, yeah I always just think you know do what you want and ultimately if you're playing in a club at 4am, everyone's going to be so high, they probably don't notice if you fuck it up. So <laughs> That's true. And it, it's funny. I think everyone does go through that. Mm. And I cleaned out uh, the loft recently. And like, mm. when I was there, I found a lot of CDs in a CD wallet. Mm. And I found a mix I recorded like 12 years ago or something. And I put it on in the car. Mm. And like, in one sense, the track selection, for the most part, held up all right. Mm -hmm. There were a few things that were like very, like dated what when I recorded it, and it was like, oh, that came out then. Mm -hmm. I would play that for the for those three months, and then go, man, this is a really shit record. Like, this is just a flash in the pan hype thing. Mm -hmm. But what was crazy to me was like, it's like shit. It's like this is so well mixed. Mm. It's like, how much time did I have on my hands? Yeah. It's like, it's like, what was I doing with my life? It's like, and I must, and you know, I really strongly committed a lot of time to a very good knowledge of the records I had then. Mm. And, you know, again, disco records, they're unquantized. And it's like, God, my mixing was amazing. But, in terms of like the quality of the, the the mix in its like mood and atmosphere and stuff like that, it's like, yeah, this is a bit lame. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think everyone does go through that where they try and pursue that perfection mm. mix wise. Um, and I think that maybe also that was a trend as well that's mm. changed a bit. Like post Deckman Tell Selectors, where the idea of being a selector is pushed a lot harder than the idea of mixing seamlessly. That made a bit of a change because I think certainly before that with the influence of resident advisor and the, the style at the time, it was to play seamless music. Um, and, and if you are playing some kinds of music, like if you're playing techno, mix that. If you're just playing techno, for four hours it's like if you don't match those beats then there's a bit of me that's like come on mate like yeah. <laughs> just do that for yeah. four hours yeah. it's like you have a whole side of that record that doesn't do anything differently it's like so that's interesting i don't know but but ultimately it doesn't matter just have fun yeah. as long as you're having fun playing it and as long as some people are having fun listening to it more power to you. Mm -hmm. Cool. Oh, <clears throat> oh bless me. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, cool. So what I want to talk about next is like, how do you grow your collection? So we've touched on this already, um, mm -hmm. but let's dive into it a bit more. So like I have a 
specific way I approach record shopping. So I'll go to a store with minimal or no research. I'll scan for familiar names and labels. I always take a chance on artwork and I'll book out at least an hour. But I, I find it best to go in with no, not like a list of things I want or even like YouTube videos that I've like liked in the week. Oh, I'll find this, I'll find this. I'll just go in and I'll pick up what I pick up. I'll still gravitate towards labels I know or artists I know or names that look familiar, but not much more than that. And I think it's great for finding hidden gems. I also think it's a really good way to curate a sound, which isn't driven by what your what everyone else is listening to and what the hot topic at the moment is for you. Um, you're not competing for hot tracks or like the, the latest in the charts. And I think it feels like your, your collection grows more organically. Um, I think when you're picking up vinyl, you've always got to think like in the back of your mind, yeah, this is great, but what will it actually mix with? Will I really play it out? Um, it's like, what's your take? Um, and if you were to step into like a brand new, never before seen record store, what steps would you go through to start making sense of it and trying to find some nice music? Okay, that is a good question. There's like, there's a lot there. I think I, my approach to buying records is similar. Um, I don't go in thinking I'm gonna find things. I don't really do any research. I'll just go to a record shop and have a look through and see what's there. And different days, I suppose, I'll look in different bits of the shop, depending on what my mood is like that day and what what I've been listening to in the week before or something. But, um, and yeah, I'd probably, ideally, I'd want to have a couple of hours. But since working in the shop, I have honed in my lunch break um, shopping technique where I can go to one of the other shops nearby and like I'll have about 45 minutes for the whole uh, whole mission mm -hmm. and I'll see what I can get in that time and either I'll find things or I won't yeah and the downside of that is that sometimes you buy something that maybe if you'd have had a little more time to think about mm -hmm. you probably wouldn't have bought and you bring it home and you think well this is okay but probably didn't justify the money I spent on it like mm -hmm. even if it and that's not saying like oh, why have I spent 50 quid on this it's like you buy something and it's like eight quid and then you think do I really need this yeah have I just added some more weight to the already creaking floorboards <laughs> it's like I have right but I think that yeah I go off artwork interests me and can give you a vibe of a record, but then sometimes you find records that you would completely not expect to sound like they uh, sound based on the artwork. And that can be very cool too. Um, but I think there's like, for me, my, my advice or anything would be, or what I think that maybe like, I'd say a reminder to people for is trust your ears, not your browser. And while I spend however much time a week reviewing new releases and telling people what's good about them and what it sounds like and that they need to buy this, at the same time, just listen to it. Don't listen to me because I'm not you. I don't know. And don't buy, don't buy things just because everyone else 
has it or is talking about it try and make the separation i try and make a separation where it's like do i actually like this yeah do i like it enough to own and in terms of the like i think there's the dj side of it which is what will this mix with what will this fit with do i have any other records it'll go with does it matter that i have any other records it'll go with Mm -hmm. can it be impactful on its own without other things around it necessarily or does it need to be in a context to work properly and then the other side of things is is this a good record that i like to play at home is this a worthy addition to my collection is this fun i think that i call my records fairly regularly like i have i reckon i've got about three thousand records maybe maybe a bit over that i if I were left to my own devices, that would raise, the, the number would raise massively unchecked. If I didn't go through and think about space, think about have I bothered listening to this? Will I listen to it in the future? Do I need this? Is this any good? And has this record now become so expensive on Discogs that I could do more things with the 80 quid for this 12 inch single and buy more records that are interesting than the amount of times I might ever play this record again. Yeah. That's like, those things come into my mind, I suppose, with the way the record collection grows and changes. And it's interesting as well, it can be a representation of, one thing that's great about it is that like, I've been buying records now for like 18 years or something 19 years and it some things from when I first started buying records I still have some things I don't some things I regret getting rid of some things I don't remember I ever had um but you can look at your collection and you see it as like moments in your life moments in time that where like either you remember where you bought it you remember who your friends were when you were listening to that kind of music or an experience where you went out and heard something like that or you played it yourself and who was with you and what happened and it's like in that sense there's something about it where it's like you know i don't keep a diary Mm. but i do have that and that does remind me of things and i can think of like ah i remember where i was when i bought this i was like in chester Mm. for the day and it was my birthday and we'd gone to chester and we went to this record shop and i picked up these things it was amazing or you know like ah i was in london and had found myself in the most like techie of techno shops Mm. and there wasn't a lot in there for me but I really loved this record. Or I was in Eastern Block and Ben said, you'll like this. And it was one of those records that like, you know, Block stocks what they stock, Piccadilly stocks what they stock, Vinyl Exchange do what they do. Everyone has their own thing and keeps in that lane in a way, a bit. But there'll be times when, you know, but we all shop in each other's shops. And you hear things, or I'll go to Vinyl Exchange and Russell will say to me, 
this has come in. I think this is for you. Oh, I even, I remember, remember almost, I don't know, like 12, 13 years ago, um, Phil and Friends band, This Man, um, had been bootlegged after it had been on Balearic Mike and Moon Boots. I think it was on Balearic Mike and Moon Boots thing. Oh, it was, no, it was on Down to the Sea and Back, Mike's thing with Kelvin. It got bootlegged on vinyl as a 12, and uh, Dunk was like, you like all that slow, fucking stupid cosmic shit, don't you? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you like this? <laughs> I like, I do like it. I also remember, he's the person who sold oh, me. I thought for a second then you were going to say he was playing it at the wrong speed. <laughs> No, 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 just like, you like this, like, yeah. Also, I remember Dunk selling me uh, Joachim's remix of Max Berlin, L.A. Mm -hmm. And I was in, it was playing downstairs in Vinyl Exchange, and I was like, fuck, I was like, this is meant. Mm -hmm. And Dunk was like, proper poppers tune this, mate. <laughs> like, got well loose to this at Bohemian Grove. It's like... <laughs> And it's like, so, you know, if, if we sat here, I could probably conjure up thousands of anecdotes mm -hmm. of when I bought records and what they, what they were. And from that point of view, it does serve as like, I don't know, it's like, it reminds me of my life in mm -hmm. a way. And in terms of the growth of it and stuff like that, like, I, I don't know... I think sometimes people can get hung up on what they need to have or whether they need to own it. And I remember when I first started buying records, um, like heavily, when I was 17 or 18, at the time, the record industry, like vinyl, was struggling. Mm. And X Records and Bolton did a sale where they marked down ev every month they knocked a quid off everything that was in stock. Mm. Which, and you know, I bought like five Rolling Stones albums. I bought the whole Talking Head, every album Talking Head's ever released, which I still have. Mm -hmm. And when I bought them, they had £10, £9, £8, £7, £6, £5, £4, £3 on the front. Um... And I bought loads of records then that you buy because it's like, this is a classic. Mm. Every collection should have it. Yeah. yeah. I don't have, I, there's lots of those records I don't have anymore. Mm. Part of that is because if I ever want to hear Revolver by the Beatles, there are plenty of ways that I can hear Revolver by the Beatles mm -hmm. without having to put it on my turntable. Mm -hmm. I have limited space. Yeah. So your collection can change from that point of view. I remember uh, one of my girlfriend's friends coming around and he was like shocked that mm -hmm. I didn't have, uh, I can't remember, maybe Aretha albums. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, it's like, he's like, you know, I thought you loved soul. It's like, well, I do, but I don't necessarily need to have those records. Yeah. I know them and love them, but maybe I like these other things more. Yeah. So I think that like we can put, rules on ourselves for what we have to have and what a record collection should be like mm -hmm. when really it's like as long as it brings you joy it can be like whatever however you want it to be like if you love disco and you just have disco records 
Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Similarly, if you love Northern Soul and all you've got is Northern Soul 7s, well, that's for you. Or you could have the most disparate, strange collection of music sat together. And it, it could be amazing from the point of view that, like, somewhere, if I were to look at that, uh, if I were to look at those 100 records that seem... Uh, at first glance to have very little in common I'm sure you could find a thread through them mm. that when you knew the person who owned them you'd be like this makes perfect sense yeah. this is like ah, I get it mm. so I, I suppose it's just a very personal thing mm. and so with the trust your ears not your browser I suppose the idea with that is just it is a personal thing mm-hmm. so don't worry about what other people or what the what influences or what people anyone else might think you should own or you should have or you should listen to mm-hmm. and just try and make sure that everything you have is something that you want and you want to listen to yeah interesting what you said there about like your collection being quite fluid i don't think i've got enough records yet and also because i've got the studio where i've got a lot of space i haven't really had to like cull records for me they've always been such a permanent uh, possession yeah. it's quite interesting to hear how you you know you get quite fluid in them pick some of them up and then you know sell some of them on uh, i never thought you'd be the type of person to sell an 80 quid record though i've i've, I've got a few of them and that they're like they're, they're the trust fund for the kids man like <laughs> well i suppose with that maybe part of it's that like the some things like if it's an 80 pound record and it's a 12 that came out two years ago, mm-hmm. how long can that record possibly hold its price for? Yeah. It gets because repressed it'll get repressed eventually. Like, if you think, one thing to bear in mind, one thing that I've learned, basically everything gets repressed eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's one thing. And with other things, there are records you sell, but like... Like I used to have loads of Electroclash records and I sold most of them because it went out of fashion. Mm-hmm. And in a way, that's a shame. And now when I hear some of those records, I'll, it'll come into my head and I'll look it up on YouTube and I'll be like, no, this is terrible. Like, this is a bad record that I cannot stand by. And I liked it when I was young and my taste was different and I was less experienced with records. But other ones, you think, well, it's a shame I got rid of that. But at the same time, you can always pick them up again. Yeah. Like, you encounter records loads of times mm-hmm. in your life in record shops. And a lot of them don't change in price so much that you've got rid of it when it was like two quid. And then you find it in a record shop and it's like 60 quid and you think, shit, I do want this again. I've made yeah. a poor choice here. I think for me, collecting, one thing I like to do is I try to, as much as possible, like every track on the EP. Like, if it's just if it's one track, it makes, because I'm trying to obviously maximise my money here. But also, like, I listen for that timeless quality. If this is like a flavour of the month, I'll just buy it digitally, which, again, is another reason to go in with no preconceived ideas of what you're going to get. Like, will this stand the test of time in my collection for the best part of a decade? Because... It grows slowly, it grows organically, and I want to add to it, and I want to be very 
methodical and about curating a sound which really sort of represents me not to say yeah. that we can't have eclectism and go all over the show but you know it'll I be think, a common thread yeah there has you. to be like a common thread yeah. and like, there has to be something that says oh that's like i can tell this is like a liam's liam's music or liam's set it'd be the same but i can tell this is pat playing now because i know that that vibe which is almost I, I do hate the word vibe but that there's no better way to say it is it that vibe that goes through everything like that's got like your stamp on it um penultimate question um i wanted to talk to you a bit about competing with online stores we've touched on juno downloads juno records um so it's something all independent shops need to deal with or embrace as well selling online and you know covid's made that situation a bit more pronounced um what case would you make for purchasing records in store over buying them online um in one sense it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. except i suppose it depends how you browse and how you buy music online and how you buy records online in turn in a shop i think you're more likely to come across things by accident Mm -hmm. maybe you're more likely to first off you get the experience of interacting with people which for me is the like the best thing about it like the conversations you have with the people who work in shops and other customers are amazing. Once people who work in the shop know your tastes, mm. then they'll try and sell you records they think you'll like. They'll push things to you that you might not have looked either. And you can always go up to the counter and ask, say, I like this. Is there anything else I might like? Um in a way that you can give more information and gain more of an, you, the, the member of staff can gain more of an understanding of what you're after than an algorithm can probably. Um, and so the experience is different in terms of buying things online, but like in terms of buying things online, you maybe, it's still possible to support independent shops and specialist shops. And like, it's possible to find people who specialize in what you're into and you can buy records from them rather than buy records from the bigger stores, maybe like, and again, like Juno's amazing. They're really cheap. They're, there are great people who work there, you know, like fair power, fair play to them. You know, sometimes I buy records from them, but I would always try and choose. You've given, you've given me an expose there. Jeez. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Records online. That's <laughs> yeah, true. You know, sometimes, sometimes there are things that the most sensible way of getting that record would be for me to buy it from them. And maybe if I had more money, Mm. I would like just buy it straight from the shop in France that I don't have the time to arrange distribution to Piccadilly from and things like that. Mm. But, but like, you know, I buy records from them, but at the same time, I don't, I I would always try and support independent shops or just, just like, you know, if there's a shop online that to me 
has introduced me to a type of music or through their blog or through whoever runs the shop's mixes or anything like that, they have introduced me to a sound or a style. I would always try and buy my records of that sound and style from them because I'm only into it because of them in a way. And so, and there are loads of shops online that are like that, that, that push a particular sound or it is a representation of the people who own it and work there's like knowledge, interest, passion. And you can see that come through. And it's like, well, like buy some records from them. Mm. But just, I don't know, buying stuff. The online experience is never going to be the same as the in-store experience to me. It's never going to be as good. But also the there are records you're not going to find in shops necessarily so like if you were like is is like an anecdote that kind of ties a few things together post that Mansell selectors loads of kids and students got into like afro disco mm -hmm. they'd all come into piccadilly and they'd come up to the counter and they'd be like, oh, mate, have you got, let's say, for instance, Steve Manite, only you? And say, no. And at this stage, Steve Manite, pick up on the sells new records. Steve Manite, only you, um, is, was like probably £300. There were none for sale on Discogs. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, we don't have that record because nowhere has that record. Yeah. It's like, but we do have a massive selection of Afro disco records mm -hmm. that we've curated of things that have been reissued that we do have that are available for you. So firstly, if you're into that record, you might be into other records that are like it. And if you go into the shop, you can have a conversation with someone who can point you in the direction of that stuff you might like. And if you want to explore that sound and find something for yourself, you can have that if you want the hot record at the moment and that thing that's like the one to have then you're not going to find it but as a rule if you want to go and buy like if you want to find records that sound like that eventually you're gonna to have to go somewhere where there are more records that sound like that like the south of france for instance mm -hmm. you find quite a lot of african records mm -hmm. so so then if you're buying secondhand stuff at some point you have to, you can't rely on buying it in your local area because you just won't find some of those records that you're of the thing that you're looking for. You have to buy it from elsewhere, probably overseas, like, and not everyone is fortunate enough to be able to arrange trips abroad just to go record shopping. Like I've been in that position and that's something that's great for me to be able to go go somewhere and think, well, I want to buy some records that sound like this. Let's go there. I reckon there's loads of records that sound like that. But you, I couldn't find those records in Vinyl Exchange. And similarly, the records that are in Vinyl Exchange, you couldn't find if you went in there. So I think that's worth, worth bearing in mind with it. Or to bring the podcast full circle, you can just download it on LimeWire. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get, what, get yourself a What CD membership. Yeah, yeah. Um, follow, follow 15 Instagram accounts. Um, you made up. Cool. Um, so finally, um, I got another big question to end the, in, end the podcast with, but uh, I want to again. I don't like I don't like touching on the current pandemic too much. But what are you looking forward to the most post lockdown? And when do you think it is now that the vaccine's here? When are you when are you expecting things to get back to normal? And what are you most looking forward to? I have zero expectations of when things will get back to normal. Mm. I don't know, and like a bit of a cop-out, but I kind of, to an extent, have opted out of politics mm. these days, mm-hmm. largely because I don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about uh, immunology. I don't know anything about chemistry. I don't know anything about any of that On Facebook, there's loads of credible, re- credible resources you can use. <laughs> of course, yeah. So this is it. So <laughs> I thought I could find evidence and arguments to support absolutely any aspect of any argument mm-hmm. but i don't know anything about it yeah. and to be honest i haven't got the time to source through it because yeah. i'm too busy with my head in my clouds listening to listening to records mm-hmm. right and that's what i've chosen to do so from that point of view i basically just opted out mm-hmm. and when when things change things change and i'll get on board with it then i'm looking forward to going to parties again yeah. Like, from that point of view, can you imagine when we're all allowed to go to a club again? Yeah, it's going to be super emotional. (laughs) How good that's going to be. It's going to be amazing. So that's like, that's one thing. The other thing will be that it will be nice to be able to go abroad Mm -hmm. and see friends and buy records that I don't find over here. That's like, you know, I know some great places now around Europe that I can like go and I know I'll find great stuff for cheap that I would never have come across otherwise without just going looking in those places and so that for me is always a nice experience so that's like so clubs clubs and clubs and travel yeah I mean the big two (laughs) amazing thank you so much for coming on the podcast today I really appreciate it it was a really really fun chat it was a really nice end to my day personally, which has just been quite hectic. Um, and as I said at the start, I was really looking forward to this. So thank you so much. Uh, have a great evening and hopefully we can catch up soon. Yeah. yeah.